like to tell you the story this morning. Can I, can I have all your ears and your eyes? So there was a story of a 15-year-old girl that was very gregarious, very outgoing. This 15-year-old girl had blue eyes. She had strawberry blonde hair. She had a lot of friends. She had a large family. This young girl at 15 was in the middle of her sibling structure. There was six or seven in the family, and, and she was well-liked by everybody. She did well in school. She had big plans. And at age 15, she found herself expecting a baby. Now, I have never had a baby. But I've been 15. And I think back to the days when I was 15 and the girls that were in my class at that time. My daughter's just now 16, so she's just a year past that number. And I think to myself, what would it be like to be a 15-year-old girl and find out that you're expecting a baby? I wish I could tell you that in this family, everyone wrapped their arms of love around her, that in this family, they, they all said, oh, honey, we're here for you. But she was told by some in her family to keep it a secret. She was encouraged to shove it down, and we're going to hide this. And this 15-year-old girl, this blonde blue-eyed, very gregarious, very outgoing young woman suddenly found herself to be fearful, afraid, unknown of the future. She had one relative that strongly encouraged her to abort the baby. She pleaded with them. She said, please, no, no, I know that this isn't what, what was planned, and, and I, I know I've disappointed you, and, and to some I brought shame, but please, Please, I'm 15. We'll make this work somehow. Can we please somehow keep this baby? This young girl was sent almost 2,000 miles from home. She was told to lie to her siblings. She was told to cover up her pregnancy. And the excuse of her being sent far away from home was that she was getting into some trouble at school and, and she was going to take a break with family almost 2,000 miles away. So this young girl was 15 dealing with the shame of being pregnant, dealing with the uncertainty of her future, the fear of the future, the shame that had been placed upon her by some within her own family, the secret that she had to carry and being sent far from home. She was placed into a home where a bunch of other young teenage girls were there who were pregnant and expecting. They, like her, shared the same fear, the concern, the shame, the worry of her future. She gave birth to that little boy was able to hold him for just one or two days before that little boy ended up in foster care for six months. That little boy was me. You should have seen me at six months. You, you think I'm cute now? Listen, back then, I was a pudgy little redhead with all kinds of freckles and big blue eyes, and I had a milk belly all the time, even when there wasn't milk in the belly. There was a milk belly. Dude, I don't know what we have now, but... This morning we're talking about stories of our past. We all have a story. I could look at any one of you and say, hey, would you stand and tell us your story? And we each have details. We each have interesting facts of how you got where you are, interesting facts about your own family. Each of us have unique characteristics of your upbringing. That's just a part of who I am. I happen to be fostered out for six months and adopted at six months and raised by a whole different family adopted through Youngstown, Ohio. My birth mother came from Phoenix, Arizona. Some of you may wonder, well, have I ever had the opportunity to meet her? I did. I formed a fantastic relationship with her for almost 10 years until she passed away. When I was 30, I found my birth mom. And here's the cool thing. I didn't just find birth mom. I found birth dad. I found Siblings, I found aunts and uncles, and a whole slew of cousins. So my family circle grew big really quick. My family circle changed immediately, and it was truly an Oprah moment. You know, all of us have seen Oprah and those types of shows where they do these reunions, and, and my story was as positive as it gets. My story was as positive as you could possibly hear of how my stepping back into the life of my birth mother changed her life immediately. Well, you say, how did that happen? 
Well, she, she realized that this little boy that she gave up, and again, I, I've never felt rejected. Never, not once, because I was always grown to believe that I was blessed. I was blessed with one mother who loved me enough to allow me to be raised by another family, and then I had another mother who loved me enough to raise me. So I am so appreciative of my family who raised me, helping me to recognize that in my situation, I have never once felt rejection, not for one iota, because I've always felt beloved by two mothers. Now that's a pretty awesome thing, if you ask me. I did not know, yes it is. See, I did not know, my story includes the fact that I didn't know what my birth mother was about. I didn't know if she was dead or alive, much like she wondered around my birthday every year. And every Mother's Day, is he dead or is he alive? Is he in jail? Is he on drugs? How many kids does he have? All those questions that you can well imagine. See, some of you in the room have given birth to a child that you've allowed someone else to raise. Some of you in the room, particularly men, that find out later in life that you were a father and never knew it. You may ask, how did this change her life when I found her? It changed her life in the fact that, number one, she knew I was well, I was good, still as handsome as I was at, at you know, day one. It brought her a peace, and let me tell you one of the biggest reasons it brought her a peace. Over these 30 years that was separating us, she assumed that I would hate her. She assumed that I would be angry at her. She assumed that I would just not want anything to do with her and, and, and want to attack her for the decisions she made. And, and when I was able to have contact with her and that Oprah moment occurred, truly, I mean, the, the television cameras should have been there. There would have been all kinds of ratings because it was a, a, an amazing first greeting. And when I was able to greet her with nothing but love and nothing but grace and nothing but mercy and, and just say, look at her in those big blue eyes and that strawberry blonde hair and say, thank you so much for giving me life. Thank you so much for resisting some relatives that strongly wanted her to terminate the pregnancy. I said, thank you for not doing that. See, I don't know what it would have been like to be raised by her. We're talking back in the early 60s. Some of you that are older know that things were different then. Things were different then. There weren't a whole lot of single parents. So I don't know what that would have been like. I can only surmise. I can only guess. What would I have turned out to be if I would have been raised by a 16-year-old girl in the 60s in Phoenix, Arizona? I know I never would have been at Victory Christian Center. Yeah. And all these other things. I wouldn't have the daughters that I have. I wouldn't have the wife that I have. All of those things would be different. Can I tell you how grateful I am that God has all of our destiny in store for us? How grateful I am that so many scenarios that occur in your life and mine can be destiny changers in our lives. See, my life was changed. My destiny was changed because that family decided to allow her to come to Youngstown, Ohio, give birth to me in a safe environment, and to be fostered for six months, and then to be raised by a very good family. My destiny was changed. This morning we're talking about destiny. We're talking about how God wants to change our destiny. We're talking some today, you're going to hear from others on our team that have connections, some very deep connections with adoption. Many of you know Pastor Ben Fleet was adopted early on in life, just a few days old, I believe, a few weeks old, and, and uh, he's had the privilege of sharing his story here a couple of times, and you're going to hear a, a song that Pastor Ben wrote in a little bit. We're also going to hear in a moment or two from Jordan and Katie Taylor, who, who just in the last, well, a little over a year ago, was able to adopt little Calvin, and what a, what a blessing he has been in their lives. We're also going to hear from Shauna. See, Shauna was adopted a little bit differently than me. She, she was with her birth family about five years. She was in foster care for about three years. And then she was adopted out about age eight. Much different scenario than what I enjoy. You're going to hear from Shauna as well. But today I want to start off with one of these scriptures that all of us sort of embrace. But when you talk about destiny, when you talk about how things change in our lives by decisions that other people make, I'm so grateful that God is in 
involved in those decisions. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and plans to give you a future. I want you to grab a hold of that, folks. Recognize how God is for you. God wants to continue to readjust and guide us. I, I love the illustration that we use of, 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 the, um, of, of the guardrails along the road. I've benefited from guardrails before, have you? You hit a little black ice or something and you start to, I'd rather hit the guardrail and scrape up the car than go over the cliff. So some of us complain when, when Holy Spirit nudges you and you get a little scrape on your thigh and you say, what are you doing, God? Well, God's protecting you from falling off the cliff. Praise God for the way he has our destiny in store. Our job is to be obedient, even when we're not, and he nudges us on the thigh and gets us back on the straight and narrow. Our job, my friends, is that we stay on the straight and narrow and say, Lord, thank you for projecting me closer to my destiny. I don't know where God would have me if I would have been raised in Phoenix, Arizona. I was there last week or week before, and can I tell you, it's hot. I don't do hot very well. It's hot in Phoenix, Arizona. I don't know what, I probably would have moved to Nome, Alaska if I would have been raised in Phoenix, Arizona. Instead, I was raised in Trumbull County, Ohio. And guess what? It gets hot in the summer, but hang on for a little while because eventually the fall comes. And can you say praise God for cool nights? Can you love those 40s when that window goes up? Can you, can you say praise God for just canceling out the furnace and just cutting off the power and never using it? Oh, I'm sorry, honey. How many marriages where one partner is always hot and the other one's always cold? Can you please tell me your answer to that? We pray, we buy more blankets, we, nothing seems to work. See, the foundation of adoption, it's the deepest and the strongest foundation. It's located not in the act of humans adopting humans, but in God adopting humans. See, this morning, we're not just promoting adoption and saying, hey, get involved, or, oh, that's a really cool story Pastor Dan has. That's not the purpose of this morning. The purpose of this morning is to draw some parallels in how humans adopt humans, but how God has adopted all of us that call him Lord and Savior. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8 says this, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, say redeem, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God. Here's the cool thing. I'm not a lawyer. There's been times in my life I wanted to be a lawyer. There's times I watch shows and movies and, and kind of put myself in that courtroom and think, oh, I could be doing that. I could be doing this. I'm not a lawyer, but I do know this. Once you legally adopt a child, and I've been privileged to be in the courtroom for many different adoptions over the years. It's been a passion of mine. I've been privileged to be intertwined with a lot of different families that are part of the adoption triad. And in those courtrooms, every single time, the, the, the judge always, right before that hammer goes down, right before the gavel goes down, they make it clear to everyone in the room, hey, do you realize this is final? Hey, do you realize this is permanent? Hey, do you realize the significance of what you're doing? And they ask all these very pointed questions. They ask these questions of, do you realize that this is irrevocable? Do you realize that you are accepting responsibility for this child? You're an heir once you come to Christ. The sonship has been established. I love that. When time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. It's rooted in God's very nature. God wants to bring redemption to humanity. God wants to bring salvation to you and to me. God wants to redeem us, sometimes from ourselves. Can I tell you, church, having worked with people for decades now, I see in people's hearts oftentimes much more self-destruction than destruction caused by outside forces 
outside voices or outside influences. When you recognize, church, that once you come to Christ, you've been redeemed. Once you come to Christ, you are one of his sons or one of his daughters. Once you come to Christ, you are his. Operate in that. Walk in that. And recognize what God wants to do and change your destiny. Adoption was for God and is for us sometimes very, very costly. By adopting us, what did it cost God? The death of his very own son. That's pretty costly. I don't know if I could have done that. To willingly give up one of my own daughters. I don't think I could have done it. God loves us enough that it cost him his one and only son. There's a cost to natural adoption here on this earth as well. Many people spend thousands of dollars securing the right to adopt another little child. Thousands. And most of them will look you in the eye and say it was worth every single penny. So adoption's costly in the spirit realm, and adoption's also costly in the natural realm as well. I'm going to ask that Jordan and Katie Taylor come. And I've asked Jordan and Katie to just share just a snippet of their, of their story, to share a, a little version of what God has done in their family, and of course the gift of little Calvin, but I think even a deeper spiritual truth that he's going to share. So uh, Jordan and Kate, welcome, and uh, we love you. Go ahead and go front and center. The lighting's a lot better. It'll show off your makeup. Uh, I'm going to try my best to make it through this. Um, our story, actually, um, it's, it's not just about us. Um, it's a story about um, who God has revealed himself to be as our father, um, but it's about our boy. And, <coughs> man, already. <laughs> we, um, back when we first got married over nine years ago, we used to pray that um, God would just allow us to tangibly live the gospel um, in full view of other people. And for us, we believed a huge part of that was um, what James says, that pure and undefiled religion is caring for the widow and the orphan. And when we um, bought our first house back here, I can even remember we knelt down in our living room and prayed that very prayer. And we had no clue um, how legitly real that was going to be in our life. Um, Fast forward a couple years after that, um, you know, we were trying for a family, and we found out that we were wrestling with infertility, and short of a miracle, we weren't going to be able to have kids. And when a core dream of your heart that you've had since you were a teenager feels like it's getting ripped out and it's not going to happen, um, stuff gets dark real quick. <laughs> And we had some dark days and dark nights um, wondering what was going to happen, how our family was going to be possible. And we encountered God as Father in a way that, um, short of going through the hell of that experience, I don't think we ever would have um, felt. And uh, he was there when... I know for me personally, I was probably anything but Christ-like, um, just letting us know that uh, it was okay to be exactly who we are in that moment. Um, we realized that there was nothing we could do um, that would make God love us any less, and there was nothing that we could do that would make him love us more. Um, in that season, we found out that as a father, his love was absolutely 100% perfect all the time. Um, and that rocked um, our world because it's one thing to say you know God is Father um, or sing it in a song. It's another thing when you encounter God as Father in your life in a way that you really can't put into words. And... Through that, we uh, started entering the adoption process and started believing that um, our baby was out there somewhere. 
And after four years, um, our little boy arrived. And um, when we saw it, the first time we ever saw his face was in a uh, sonogram. And um, logically, we knew there was nothing about our genes or anything in that child. But the only thing we thought was that's our boy, 100%. And um, the first time he cried, we had the privilege of being in the um, delivery room um, when he was born. And the first time I heard that cry, it was my boy. And uh, what we have felt as natural parents <clears throat> is absolutely incredible for that boy. Um, you know, it's one thing to think when you get married, you're, you can't imagine loving anyone like you do your spouse, and then your child comes along, and for those of you that are parents, you know this whole other door just like opens up, and you're like, oh my gosh, there's still more room in there. Um, but when we look at our son, um, we don't see plan B. Um, we believe that, we believe that looking back now, what has happened in our life is that God as our father was so intricately involved in our life as a son and a daughter that the prayer we started praying when we got married was simply the heart of our Father being bled out in our prayers. Um, and so Calvin was not our plan B. Um, we didn't know it, but he, he has always been our plan A. And um, to be able to experience life and look at him and know that there is there's nothing he could do that's going to make us love him any less. There's nothing he can do that's going to make us love him more. Our love is, it's 100% for him. He is going to get everything that we are. He completely has all of us. Um, he has all our family for all the good and crazy that that's going to be. Um, everything we are, we're going to leave to him. And that's, uh, that's our uh, finalization in the courtroom. Um, but he, he has made us realize that if, if we can look at him and encounter and feel and experience everything that we do for him as natural, fallen, imperfect human beings... Um, how much more does God do that for us? And <clears throat> and to to know to have the sense that God is not um, simply looking at me and saying you're my boy, or looking at Katie and saying you're my girl, but is looking at our son and saying, that's my boy, and I've entrusted him to you guys, is amazingly, amazingly humble. Um, this story isn't about us. Um, God sustained us. He brought us through the darkest season of our life, but it's because God has a plan for that little boy. And he foresaw that boy being in our home before we were even born. And to think that um, not only do we have something with our Heavenly Father that's indescribable, but now we have the privilege of taking something that's spiritual, something that is part of God's plan from the beginning, something that's His very heart, and we get the privilege of living that out the rest of our life and putting that on full view, most importantly and most consistently with that little boy, um, is something that as I stand here this morning, I still cannot fully wrap my mind around. Um, 
how that's uh, a privilege we get entrusted with. Um, but we do know that um, this story of ours, um, to do this a while ago probably would not have been possible. Um, for those of you that really know me, this upfront stuff's not really my gig. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we just celebrated his birthday on October 6th, one year old. Um, and he is a testimony. He's our miracle. And um, I do, I do want to take this um, opportunity to say thank you to our church family. Um, many of you are here when we had to um, raise money to be able to adopt. Um, we used every penny we had um, with testing and procedures when we were trying to battle infertility. And um, a large reason why that boy's in our home is because you guys helped. So thank you. I was privileged to have a front row seat in much of their journey and watched Jordan and Kate go through the ups and the downs of the emotions. I was privileged to be in the courtroom with some others to watch the level of joy that came when that gavel was hit by that judge and it became final, final, final. And you two are both amazing parents and you have amazing family around you. So God bless you. Thank you for sharing, Jordan and Kate. You know, when you think about adoption and for God and, and for us, the legalities behind it, back to Galatians 4, it says that God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law. See, the legal realities that God had to deal with were there. His own justice and his law demanded back then that we be excluded from, from the presence that he has because of our sin. See, I think in this day and age, folks, where anything goes, I don't know about you, but our society is changing rapidly, rapidly. The things that seem to be okay this last decade that would not have been okay in the previous decade. People are being, becoming more and more desensitized to sin. Can I tell you, God's view of sin has not changed. He cannot look upon sin. You cannot be in the presence of a holy God with sin. So the legalities of God's adoption, the legalities behind the whole premise of him ad adopting us into sonship, he had to satisfy his justice and his law. And he did it by the death, the burial, and the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. See, the cool thing about being a son legally, and I want you to hear this, it precedes the experience of the Spirit coming to us. So, so here's, here's the deal. When my parents adopted me, I, I was delivered to their door. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you have a picture of me um, pretty close to when I was adopted. I think they, they might have a shot of that, that, that attractive, handsome, little, chubby, red-headed, freckle-faced boy. It may or may not show up on the screen. But um, here's the deal. They, they literally drove me to my parents' home, knocked on the front door, and said, here's your new child. They had never seen me prior to that. See. They said, we don't care about race, we don't care about gender, we don't care about how many cute freckles he has, just, just deliver the baby that you think we should have. The first time my parents saw me, now who is that up there? Oh wow, that's me, okay. That's a really old picture, that's over 50 years old, that's a, a picture of a picture, and I'm the guy sitting down there, by the way. I um, was less than a year old, you can see just how cute I was, right? And uh, ha that really hasn't changed, come on, be honest, that hasn't changed. But, <laughs> See, so here's the deal. The legalities had to be taken care of, and then oftentimes the affections are closely connected to that. The affections are closely connected. Adoption was blessed, it is blessed with God's pouring out His spirit of sonship. 
See, the more we come in contact with a holy God who loves us, the more we allow his mercy and his grace to operate in our lives, the more we allow the process of sanctification to rule and reign in who we are, the closer we become to this holy God. Why? Because we become more aware of the affection that he has for us. Well, Pastor Dan, what do you, what do you mean by that? Well, I know when I first got saved, Everything was so new to me. I was 16, and, and, and there was so much to this whole new Christian thing that I had to get used to. I didn't understand what God's love was about. I just knew something changed in my life. I didn't know what this affectionate Holy Spirit was about. I just knew something had changed. But through the years, as I become more and more his son, the more I have recognized the affections of the spirit of the living God. I so appreciate how God has, has enriched me with the recognition of that closest. Each and every day I'm closer and closer and closer, and I recognize he's as close as even the mention of his name. Embrace the sonship that God has for you. Look at Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. Here's what it says. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. See, verse 16 says this. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. See, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Adopted children have very deep personal and spiritual bonds. I, I was as close to my family that raised me as I possibly could have been. My mother who raised me, who never gave birth on her own, she was as be the best mom I could possibly want. She was as maternal and as loving, and there was a bond there. I'm convinced I never felt rejection. I never felt secondhand because she says, Daniel, you're special. And she said, you're special because you had a mom who loved you enough that knew you needed to be raised by somebody else and a mom who loved you enough to raise you. That's me. I don't know. I think I was 14 there. <laughs> I was a late bloomer. Um, that, that happens to be my maternal grandmother. Uh, that's a, a shot that I could find. But uh, I was blessed. There was a bond there. See, some of us in the room still struggle with feeling a bond with Jesus. Some of you still struggle because you allow this past history of sin, this past history of, of, of mistakes to still be in the way. See, when you come to the altar and you say, God, forgive me my sins, you know what's cool about God? He is so different than us. Aren't you glad you're not God? He is so different than us. He truly forgets it, and he truly washes it white as snow, and it's no, no longer on his hard drive. You can't even find it anywhere. He has totally forgot it, but we tend to hold on to stuff. Say stuff. God wants you to let go of stuff this morning. God wants you to let go of that stuff that keeps you from having that intimate relationship with a holy God who just wants to, to squeeze you and love you and kiss on you and all those types of things. God, God wants to do that for you. See, I have a very, very close friend who had parents that struggled with infertility as well. And this was back in the 60s and 70s. And uh, after about a decade of trying, suddenly they became pregnant. And they were very blessed, as you can well imagine. Well, the doctor said, listen, this is a miracle. We don't know how it happened. But sister, brother, this ain't going to happen again. So you got one and done, good to go, right? And they said, you know what? We don't want to raise an only child. So they started the process of adoption. They went through the process. They adopted another little boy. So now there's two little boys in their home, one natural birth and one by adoption. They love both of their sons, new little infant. And guess what? Mama woke up sick one day. <laughs> Mama woke up and realized, oops, I'm having another baby. So my friend is literally like, I don't know, nine months or something older than his other brother. So natural child, adopted child, natural child. You see the rhythm there? Here's the cool thing. I know the family pretty well. Got to know mom and dad. Mom and dad love all three of those boys the same. Mom and dad love all three of those boys the same. 
Do you realize there's zero difference in their eyes? They've got some natural born, they've got some adoption, and they love all three of those boys the same. That's how God views each of us. I'm, I'm going to ask Shauna to come. And Shauna has a really unique, crazy, cool story of God's redemption and how God has used adoption in her life. And, and just to give you a little bit of a teaser, folks, before our service is over today, we're going to have the privilege of dedicating four little ones of these families. Adam? Hi, church family. I am much like Jordan, and public speaking, whew, not my thing. But we're friends, we're family, right? And I, I, can, I can talk with you, so I'm just going to view it as that. Um, many of you know me. I'm Shauna. I am the director of Creation Station. Um, I have the best job in the church. I get to play with um, all of the kiddos. Um, this is my husband. This is Adam. We were high school sweethearts. We um, started dating. We grew up together, always knew each other, but um, started dating when um, we were 17. But um, I'd like to um, walk you through a little bit of um, my story. Um, what's cool about adoption is that, you know, listening to Pastor Daniel's um, story, listening to Jordan and Katie uh, with baby Calvin, their story, adoption is, um, it, it's, it's so cool. It looks so many different ways. And um, that, I think that's the beauty of adoption. Um, just like you can look around the room and um, no two faces look the same. That, that makes a, uh, a beautiful crowd to me in my mind. That makes a beautiful crowd. Um, and so when I hear uh, stories of adoption, um, no two are the same. And um, I'd like to share a little bit of, um, about, about mine. I um, was born into um, a family. Um, my birth mother, um, her name is Patty. And um, I lived with Patty and my um, three older siblings. There was four of us. I was the youngest, the baby of the family. I lived with Patty and um, my siblings for um, about, about five years, about five and a half years. And she, um, Patty was uh, amazing um, and beautiful. She had a smile that would literally stop traffic. Um, she was beautiful. She um, was wild. She was a free spirit. Um, for sure. And um, she loved to sing. She loved to dance. Um, some of my favorite memories are um, dancing in our living room um, and without a care in the world and singing at the top of our lungs, literally. And so we were all laughing so hard that, you know, we could barely breathe. Um, some of my favorite memories are singing and dancing with, um, with Patty. And I um, <clears throat> was the youngest of that family, like I said. I was the baby. Um, and um, I was well doted on, um, some say spoiled, but um, I say well loved. But, um, <laughs> but uh, we have a picture of, um, if, we could, if they could pop that up there. It's a picture of um, me when uh, I was about seven years old, um, and that's my mom. And um, beside me, um, the little blondie is my sister, Kashara. And then above us um, are my brother and sister, Brandy and uh, Carlos. Um, when I was uh, about five and a half, Kashara was um, six, she's a year older than I am, um, the state intervened. And at five, that was tough. Suddenly everything that I knew changed. And even though some of that was, um, it was hard, it wasn't uh, the best um, surroundings for a five-year-old, it was all that I knew and it incorporated the people that I loved. And so when the state intervened, they intervened for good reason. Um, my mother had a very um, traumatic upbringing herself and although she tried her hardest, she just couldn't seem to shake the addictions. Um, she couldn't seem to shake that spirit of poverty, of extreme poverty that um, had uh, plagued um, her bloodline for generations. And so, uh, when the state intervened, um, my sister and I, the one who is a year older than I am, she and I were taken into foster care. My older brother and sister were uh, taken to uh, what's called, a, a, it was called group homes. Um, it was a boy, all boy group home and an all girl group home. Um, they were split up, they were teenagers. Um, they were a little more um, affected, I think, by the surroundings that we had um, grown up in. And so <clears throat> they went off to group homes. My sister Kashara and I, um, went to foster care and um, for the next about three years we would um, live in two different foster homes 
and um, foster care, it was the beginning of a change in my life. It was the first time that I ever went to church. I was um, blessed to be a part of two foster homes who they were Christians. And so every Sunday we went to church and for the first time I got to hear about who Jesus Christ was. And I don't mean the swear word, Jesus Christ, because up until that point, up until that point in my life, that was the only Jesus Christ that I had ever heard. But getting to go to church in those foster homes, the two foster homes that, um, that we were in over those three years, was the beginning of this change in my life. It was the first time that I learned about a, a Christ love, a God love that was unconditional. The things around me were changing, but God's love was steady. Well, when I was just about eight years old, our caseworkers came to my sister and I, and they said that we were going to be adopted. I remember standing there and I said, okay, what's adoption? <laughs> what is that? And they looked at me and said, well, there's gonna be a lot of new things happening. You're gonna have a new name. In my case, it was a new last name. <clears throat> I was gonna have a new house. I was gonna have a new mom. I was gonna have a new dad. I was gonna have new siblings. There was a lot of new. And at that time, I was seven just about to turn eight, and Kashara had just turned nine. We stood there, and I remember thinking, oh, this is so, this is a lot. This is a lot to handle. You know, my oldest is eight years old, and I look at him, and I think half the time he can't remember to change his socks. <laughs> I think if he were to have to deal with some of those things, I can't imagine but God knew that Kashar and I were going to be okay. Our destiny was in his hands. Well, I uh, became a part of, um, Kashar and I were fortunate to be adopted together. That was a blessing. Um, that was a gift, truly, from God. And um, I met my parents <clears throat> on March 11th of 1991. And on that day, I walked into a room. And I met two people who didn't look like me, but they had big smiles on their face. Truly, I could feel their hearts. I could feel their love. They had their arms reached out, and they were ready to embrace Kashar and I. And when they did, oh, to be on that side, of such a love is an honor. It really is. To be a recipient of a Christ love so pure, so unconditional is an honor. And it is a gift, absolutely. When they hugged us <clears throat> for that first time, it was a hug and an embrace that told us I'm going to love you, period. Not I'm going to love you when. Not when I'm, I'm going to love you if. It was I'm going to love you, period. Isn't that God? That's a God thing. I truly feel that when you open yourself up to the Lord, that is what he says. He stands there with arms outreached, ready to embrace you, ready to say, I'm going to love you, period. We have a picture of my adoptive family. They are my family. I don't like to put that word in front of it because they are truly, in every sense of the word, my family. We took this picture a couple years ago. <clears throat> my parents are in the middle. That's Margaret and Tom, Dosh. Those are all of my siblings, all of them. You don't have to count, there are 11. <laughs> I was adopted into a family and I became the youngest, the baby of 11. And so if you're keeping track, that makes me the baby of two families, two families. <laughs> well loved. <laughs> but um, 
those are all of my siblings. My parents were high school sweethearts. <clears throat> they had a dream to always have, um, well, my mother had a dream to have 12 <laughs> kids. Um, my dad had a gracious heart. <laughs> um, my, uh, my, they stopped short at 11. I told them that once I was in the family, I mean, really. <laughs> but mom always says, even to this day, that she would love to have, to have done it one more time but, um, and had that, that dozen. But um, this is my family. This is, um, I'll, I'll name them for you. This is, um, our, the oldest is Eric, Chrissy, Glenn, Deanne, Shane, Jason, Jacob, Carrie, Sarah, Kashara, and me, Lashana. <laughs> well, when Kashara and I were adopted into that family, it was, um, it was definitely a change. Um, we went from being a part, I was born in Youngstown, um, being a part of a very rough um, uh, neighborhood, to being um, able to run free on 19 acres um, that had uh, horses and goats and they had chickens and things that, they had goats, I mean they had cows, I'm sorry, across the street, cows, like real cows. <laughs> And so when they told us, <laughs> when they told us that this was going to be home, um, it, was, it was like, okay, okay, this is not Youngstown. <laughs> they have cows. But, um, but um, you know, truly it was a gift. And, and the Doshes being a part of that family, and if you know me, if you know my parents, um, I am much like them. I came into their family when I was eight years old, but um, truly they, their heartbeat is, is my heartbeat. And um, they have a love for adoption, and um, that has definitely carried on to me. Um, that brings me to the last part of my story. <clears throat> about, about a year and a half ago, we got the opportunity to hold this precious one-week-old baby girl. She came from a past very similar to my own, a past full of uh, extreme poverty and addiction. And when I held her, I believe there was, a, there was an instant bond. There was a part of her that when I looked at her, I saw me. She didn't look like me. But when I felt, when I held her, I felt a part of me, a connection that was made. Um, long story short, <laughs> we uh, were approached by her birth mother um, who knew that she was in a situation that was not going to allow her to raise this baby girl in a way that she knew this baby girl deserved. And so just this past summer, my husband and I finalized the adoption of our baby girl, Stella. That's my family up there. Um, that is my husband and I. We have three beautiful boys who I was blessed to give birth to. And then we have Stella. If you know Stella, <laughs> she is a light. She is a joy. I call her a little light bright. She has a smile that just lights up the room. And I know this baby girl is going to go places. That her story is a God story. I also feel it is an absolute honor to get to be on this side of the adoption story now and get to help our boys see and feel like second nature what adoption truly is. You know, my husband and I, <clears throat> a few years ago, even before our baby girl came into the family, I, I made a statement, and I probably didn't know how profound it was. But I made a statement to him and said, uh, I truly hope that adoption, that adoption is found in each generation in our family from here on out. I feel it is such a blessing and such a God kind of love. And to get to be a part of that, to get to be a recipient of that, and then to get to be a part of that in the destiny of our baby girl is an honor. Thank you.
Folks, these are powerful, powerful stories. When I think about how God wants to change our destiny, these are such vivid examples of what God can do. I'm going to ask that the families that are going to be participating in the dedication of the children to go ahead and, and, and transition to the back of the platform. And as they're doing that, I want to ask your, your, your question, or ask your question, uh, church. Remember back in junior high and maybe probably even elementary school, even high school, remember when the gym teacher would have you line up a, along the, the, uh, the side of the gymnasium wall? Remember those days? And uh, then they'd pick two special kids. I don't know how they picked, you know, Johnny and Judy or Billy and Bobby or who. Then they'd come and say, okay, pick teams. Remember those days? Right? Because they're going to play basketball. So you've got to pick teams. And how many of you were sometimes one of the last ones to get picked? Yeah? How many of you were always the first one to get picked? We don't like you. Can I just say what many of us in the room have always thought? We don't like you. Here's the cool thing about adoption is, see, my parents chose to adopt that attractive little red-headed freckle-faced kid. The Timlins chose to adopt little Stella. Jordan and Katie chose to adopt Calvin. God chose you. God chose you from the very foundation of the world. God knew that you would need a Savior. God chose you because He knew you would need redeemed. God chose you because He has a destiny in place for you. All He says is this, take my hand, walk with me, and watch what I will do with your life. Folks, if you're not on track with Jesus, get on track. If you've never got on track with him, there's going to be an opportunity in a few moments for you to do that. But listen, I don't know how in the world you make it in this world without Jesus. How in the world do you make it in this world without Jesus? I don't understand it. And those of you that have gotten off track, let me tell you, God chose you from the foundation of the world. And he has a plan for your life. He has a destiny and a calling upon your life. And he can change your story that will mirror these stories that we've already heard. I'm so grateful for our church family. I'm going to ask that those little ones go ahead and come out. And uh, this is always a favorite portion of any pastor, of any church. We have the opportunity to uh, dedicate to the Lord little Calvin, little Stella, and the Fleet Twins. Yes, it's going to be a, a special, special time. Church family, I just, I just hope you can give us just a couple more minutes and uh, we'll, we'll wrap this up today. But this is an important part for these families. Such a privilege to see everyone here today. Precious, precious. Precious, precious. Absolutely. Bless the Lord. Hi, guys. You got matching ties. That's awesome. Yeah. Hi, Calvin. Hey, little man. Your, your bow tie matches Dad's shirt. I bet you chose that, didn't you? Bless the Lord. We've got the fleet coming out as well. Hi, guys. Welcome, welcome. Welcome, welcome. So blessed to have you today. Well, church, can I, can I say the obvious, that the stars of the show right now are the little ones. This is all about the kiddos that you see before you. It really is. But, yes. But, but church, really, th this is dedicating little ones to the Lord, but it's also, and I want you to hear me, this is asking the church family to accept the responsibility upon your hearts as well. See, some of you have already diapered these little ones, but many of you will teach them in children's church or Victory Kids or youth group. Many of you will, will, will greet them in the hallway and just pour a little life into them. And many of you will wonder what the little guy's going to do. Whoa! <laughs> Bishop, Bishop Thomas and I both had lessons on that. They said, during our ordination, they said, can you chase a little one to the end of the platform? But church, listen, this, this is as much about you as it is about the little ones. 
This is you saying as a church family, listen, as these little ones grow, you're going to be there for these families no matter what comes. And uh, so I want you to, to accept these charges very, very uh, seriously. So we're going to go ahead and dedicate these little ones. And, and I'm so pleased that uh, little Calvin Jordan Taylor, 12 months old. Dude, we share almost a birthday. <laughs> oh, one day apart, dude. You almost had it, okay? But Jordan and Katie, they're praying for their, their child. That We're praying that little Calvin grows up experiencing God as father and living out of the identity that he is God's son. And through that relationship, we pray that Calvin puts the gospel on display and draws others to Christ by serving them and making God's love very tangible. The scripture that they chose, Micah 5, 6, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So, little Calvin, we thank God for you. We thank God for the destiny upon your life. We thank God for the parents that you've been born to. We thank you that you have tremendous destiny and promise upon your life. And we pray blessings and favor and life to come forth from this young man for the decades ahead of him. Father, thank you for what you've been able to provide to the Taylor family. This blessing that will be with them the rest of their days. Thank you for Calvin. Thank you for his life. Lord, anoint him and carry him through every trial, tribulation, and joy in Jesus' name. And the entire church said, amen, amen and amen. Bless the Lord. Well, we've, uh, we've heard about little Stella. And here's the queen. Here's the princess. Here she is. Okay? And anybody who knows little Stella knows that she truly does light up the room. And uh, that's my... Hi, sweetie. Good to see you. So Adam and Shauna went ahead and said that Stella means star and grace with God's bounty. And they're praying for their child that little Stella, that her light would always shine for him. And this light would be a guiding factor for those around her into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the scripture is Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So would you extend your hand toward little Stella? Lord, we thank you for this little light, Father, that you're going to use to impact so many lives in the future. Lord, for decades and decades to come, this little light will enter into a room and represent you. So, Father, may each day of her life be one that represents you well. Lord, may each day of her life carry your presence. And, Father, give wisdom and guidance to these three older brothers as they protect little sister. Father, give them wisdom, give them grace, give them patience. <laughs> and we just thank you so much for little Stella, what she's meant to this family, for the destiny that's upon her life, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. What a blessing. Look, at she's, she is looking at the camera already. She, uh, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Well, here we have the Fleet family. Little Carter Truth and Cademan Mercy Fleet. Eight months old already. It just seems like, it just seems, Sarah, you were just wallowing around, carrying... Out, yeah, it just seems like yesterday. But these guys are just absolutely handsome little guys. Handsome, They're grown like big old weeds. Going to be as tall as dad someday, right? I bet. I bet. So Carter Truth means carrier of truth. And Cademan Mercy means warrior and mercy. And they're praying that they would live in a manner worthy of their calling in Christ. And we certainly will pray with you in that, Pastor Ben. And the scripture is Psalm 85, verses 10 and 11. That mercy and truth have come together, righteousness and peace have kissed each other, and truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Wow, that is a strong, strong word over these young men's lives. And we just now will have the opportunity. Folks, would you extend your hand? Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for each of these guys. Lord, they're going to grow up knowing each other quite well. They're going to be friends. They're going to be brothers for life. But Lord, we just pray that individually they come to know Jesus in a way that honors you. That Lord, you would allow them each, Lord, to represent you well. Lord, that you would allow each to have an anointing upon their lives and bring joy to everyone they come in contact with. Bring them health. Bring them happiness. Give wisdom to mom and dad. We thank you, Lord, for these lives. We thank you, Lord, for who they represent. They represent you well. They represent joy. And we thank you for their lives in Jesus' name. And the entire church said, 
Amen and amen. Can we give these families a round of applause? Thank you so much, folks. God bless you. I know Pastor Ben um, is going to sing a song, but I want you to listen very, very carefully to the words. Pastor Ben's song that he wrote is actually uh, a testimony uh, of his story, and you're going to be very, very touched and blessed by this. John and Esther both call me well. In Western PA, I learned to run and play. Now I'm grown. All my life I've seen God's hand of promise. 1982. Chosen who respond are so few. He calls you. His grace is perfect in our weakness. His grace, faith has made us safe. His grace is found in our biography that's written every day. Grace upon Wow. 
Let's all stand together. Just one of the, the only thing that was done wrong in that whole thing is there should have been boxes of Kleenexes <laughs> next to each and every one. I don't know who you were who ran up a Kleenex to me. Somebody in this area ran up a Kleenex. Okay, thank you. I uh, want to remind you that of this. We hope that you'll come back and join us, be a part of the serve team. And I want to remind you of Thursday night with, with Ohio Celebrates Israel in this room. And finally, and very, very important, please come next Sunday to honor Pastor Daniel and Patty. Please come prepared with a card and a gift and uh, big cards, big gifts, uh, big checks, everything. And so I just wanted to uh, you know, make sure that that you come next week to honor. It's going to be a great, great week. My, my wife was up all night, some stomach issues, so she would have loved being here in this service, but she wasn't able to be here. I just wanted to explain that. Pastor Daniel. Folks, as we close, I started off my story today with explaining the difference that my contacting my birth mother when I was 30, it, it changed her life immediately. Immediately. She, she changed in so many arenas. And I had a lot of family and many of her close friends saying she was a different person. And, and I'm convinced that the reason that was the case was because she had a revelation that she was seeking. She had a, a bit of information. She had a revelation that this little baby boy she gave up 30 years ago, unknowing of the future, unknowing of his care and his, and his, and his uh, well-being, it changed her life. In a moment, I'm going to say the blessing. And... When I conclude, I'm going to ask that our, our prayer team and prayer partners come down and line in the front. If you're in the building today and you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, some of you, this has been a revelation of God's love, that he chose you, that he has a destiny for you. And these folks that are going to be coming love God and they love people deeply and they want to have the opportunity to pray with you. So do not leave the building if you have a prayer need of any type, but particularly if you've never made a commitment to Christ. Today is your day of salvation. Amen? Amen. Would you look me in the eye and, and extend your hand or put your hand on your heart? Father, what a joy and privilege it is to serve you. And Father, each of these hearts in this house desire to know you deeper. And Lord, I would pray that this week would be a week filled with opportunity, filled with blessing, filled with amazing freedom and destiny moments. That this week would be one of favor. This week would be one of financial breakthrough. This week would be one where hearts are mended that are broken. So, Father, allow this week to be one of blessing and restoration. And the entire church said, amen and amen. Prayer partners, please come down to the front. Those of you that want prayer, please come down. We want to pray with you. There are agencies out in the foyer.